letter five of red gauntlet by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by dion gines salt lake city utah letter five alan fairford to darcy latimer i have thy last two epistles my dear darcy and expecting the third have been in no hurry to answer them do not think my silence ought to be ascribed to my failing to take interest in them for truly they excel though the task was difficult thy usual excellings since the moon-calf who earliest discovered the pandemonium of milton in an expiring wood-fire since the first ingenious urchin who blew bubbles out of soap and water thou my best of friends hast the highest knack at making histories out of nothing wert thou to plant the bean in the nursery tale thou wouldst make out so soon as it began to germinate that the castle of the giant was about to elevate its battlements on the top of it all that happens to thee gets a touch of the wonderful and the sublime from thy own rich imagination didst ever see what artists call a claude lorraine glass which spreads its own particular hue over the whole landscape which you see through it thou beholdest ordinary events just through such a medium i have looked carefully at the facts of thy last long letter and they are just such as might have befallen any little truant of the high school who had got down to leith sands gone beyond the prawn dub wet his hose and shoon and finally had been carried home in compassion by some high-kilted fishwife cursing all the while the trouble which the brat occasioned her i admire the figure which thou must have made clinging for dear life behind the old fellow's back thy jaws chattering with fear thy muscles cramped with anxiety thy execrable supper of broiled salmon which was enough to ensure the nightmare's regular visits for a twelvemonth may be termed a real affliction but as for the storm of thursday last such i observe was the date it roared whistled howled and bellowed as fearfully amongst the old chimney-heads in the candle-maker row as it could on the solway shore for the very wind of it tusta me per totem noctum vigilante and then in the morning again when lord help you in your sentimental delicacy you bid the poor man adieu without even rendering him half a crown for supper and lodging you laugh at me for giving a penny to be accurate though thou shouldst have said sixpence to an old fellow whom thou in thy high flight wouldst have sent home supperless because he was like solon or belisarius but you forget that the affront descended like a benediction into the pouch of the old gaberlunzi who overflowed in blessings upon the generous donor 
long ere he would have thanked thee darcy for thy barren veneration of his beard and his bearing then you laugh at my good father's retreat from falkirk just as if it were not time for a man to trudge when three or four mountain knaves with naked claymores and heels as light as their fingers were scampering after him crying furinish you remember what he said himself when the laird of bucklevat told him that furinish signified stay a while what the devil he said surprised out of his presbyterian correctness by the unreasonableness of such a request under the circumstances would the scoundrels have had me stop to have my head cut off imagine such a train at your own heels darcy and ask yourself whether you would not exert your legs as fast as you did in flying from the solway tide and yet you impeach my father's courage i tell you he has courage enough to do what is right and to spurn what is wrong courage enough to defend a righteous cause with hand and purse and to take the part of the poor man against his oppressor without fear of the consequences to himself this is civil courage darcy and it is of little consequence to most men in this age and country whether they ever possess military courage or no do not think i am angry with you though i thus attempt to rectify your opinions on my father's account i am well aware that upon the whole he is scarce regarded with more respect by me than by thee and while i am in a serious humour which it is difficult to preserve with one who is perpetually tempting me to laugh at him pray dearest darcy let not thy ardour for adventure carry thee into more such scrapes as that of the solway sands the rest of the story is a mere imagination but that stormy evening might have proved as the clown says to lear a naughty night to swim in as for the rest if you can work mysterious and romantic heroes out of old cross-grained fishermen why i for one will reap some amusement by the metamorphosis yet hold even there there is some need of caution this same female chaplain thou sayest so little of her and so much of every one else that it excites some doubt in my mind very pretty she is it seems and that is all thy discretion informs me of there are cases in which silence implies other things than consent wert thou ashamed or afraid darcy to trust thyself with the praises of the very pretty grace sayer as i live thou blushest why do i not know thee an inveterate squire of dames and have i not been in thy confidence an elegant elbow displayed when the rest of the figure was muffled in a cardinal or a neat well-turned ankle and instep seen by chance as its owner tripped up the old assembly clothes 
of old this almost deserted alley formed the most common access betwixt the high street and the southern suburbs turn thy brain for eight days thou wert once caught if i remember rightly with a single glance of a single matchless eye which when the fair owner withdrew her veil proved to be single in the literal sense of the word and besides were you not another time enamoured of a voice a mere voice that mingled in the psalmody at the old greyfriars church until you discovered the proprietor of that dulcet organ to be miss dolly macizzard who is both back and breast as our saying goes all these things considered and contrasted with thy artful silence on the subject of this grace-saying nereid of thine i must beg thee to be more explicit upon that subject in thy next unless thou wouldst have me form the conclusion that thou thinkest more of her than thou carest to talk of you will not expect much news from this quarter as you know the monotony of my life and are aware it must at present be devoted to uninterrupted study you have said a thousand times that i am only qualified to make my way by dint of plodding and therefore plod i must my father seems to be more impatient of your absence than he was after your first departure he is sensible i believe that our solitary meals want the light which your gay humour was wont to throw over them and feels melancholy as men do when the light of the sun is no longer upon the landscape if it is thus with him thou mayest imagine it is much more so with me and canst conceive how heartily i wish that thy frolic were ended and thou once more our inmate i resume my pen after a few hours interval to say that an incident has occurred on which you will yourself be building a hundred castles in the air and which even i jealous as i am of such baseless fabrics cannot but own affords ground for singular conjecture my father has of late taken me frequently along with him when he attends the courts in his anxiety to see me properly initiated into the practical forms of business i own i feel something on his account and my own from this over-anxiety which i dare say renders us both ridiculous but what signifies my repugnance my father drags me up to his counsel learned in the law are you quite ready to come on to-day mr crossbite this is my son designed for the bar i take the liberty to bring him with me to-day to the consultation merely that he may see how these things are managed mr crossbite smiles and bows as a lawyer smiles on the solicitor who employs him and i dare say thrusts his tongue into his cheek and whispers into the first great wig that passes him what the devil does old fairford mean by letting loose his whelp on me as i stood beside them 
too much vexed at the childish part i was made to play to derive much information from the valuable arguments of mr crossbite i observed a rather elderly man who stood with his eyes firmly bent on my father as if he only wanted an end of the business in which he was engaged to address him there was something i thought in the gentleman's appearance which commanded attention yet his dress was not in the present taste and though it had once been magnificent was now antiquated and unfashionable his coat was of branched velvet with a satin lining a waistcoat of violet-coloured silk much embroidered his breeches the same stuff as the coat he wore square-toed shoes with foretops as they are called and his silk stockings were rolled up over his knee as you may have seen in pictures and here and there on some of those originals who seem to pique themselves on dressing after the mode of methuselah a chapeau bras and sword necessarily completed his equipment which though out of date showed that it belonged to a man of distinction the instant mr crossbite had ended what he had to say this gentleman walked up to my father with your servant mr fairford it is long since you and i met my father whose politeness you know is exact and formal bowed and hemmed and was confused and at length professed that the distance since they had met was so great that though he remembered the face perfectly the name he was sorry to say had really somehow escaped his memory have you forgot harry's of baron's work said the gentleman and my father bowed even more profoundly than before though i think his reception of his old friend seemed to lose some of the respectful civility which he bestowed on him while his name was yet unknown it now seemed to be something like the lip courtesy which the heart would have denied had ceremony permitted my father however again bowed low and hoped he saw him well so well my good mr fairford that i come hither determined to renew my acquaintance with one or two old friends and with you in the first place i halt at my old resting-place you must dine with me to-day at patterson's at the head of the horse wind it is near your new fashionable dwelling and i have business with you my father excused himself respectfully and not without embarrassment he was particularly engaged at home then i will dine with you man said mr harry's of burns work the few minutes you can spare me after dinner will suffice for my business and i will not prevent you a moment from minding your own i am no bottle man you have often remarked that my father though a scrupulous observer of the rights of hospitality seems to exercise them rather as a duty than as a pleasure indeed but for a conscientious wish to feed the hungry and receive the stranger 
his doors would open to guests much seldomer than is the case i never saw so strong an example of this peculiarity which i should otherwise have said is caricatured in your description as in his mode of homologating the self-given invitation of mr harry's the embarrassed brow and the attempt at a smile which accompanied his we will expect the honour of seeing you in brown square at three o'clock could not deceive any one and did not impose upon the old laird it was with a look of scorn that he replied i will relieve you then till that hour mr fairford and his whole manner seemed to say it is my pleasure to dine with you and i care not whether i am welcome or no when he turned away i asked my father who he was an unfortunate gentleman was the reply he looks pretty well on his misfortunes replied i i should not have suspected that so gay an outside was lacking a dinner who told you that he does replied my father he is omni suspicioni major so far as worldly circumstances are concerned it is to be hoped he makes a good use of them though if he does it will be for the first time in his life he has then been an irregular liver insinuated i my father replied by that famous brocard with which he silences all unacceptable queries turning in the slightest degree upon the failings of our neighbours if we mend our own faults ellen we shall all of us have enough to do without sitting in judgment upon other folks here i was again at fault but rallying once more i observed he had the air of a man of high rank and family he is well entitled said my father representing harry's of burnswork a branch of that great and once powerful family of harry's the elder branch whereof merged in the house of nithsdale at the death of lord robin the philosopher anno domini sixteen hundred and sixty seven has he still said i his patrimonial estate of burnswork no replied my father so far back as his father's time it was a mere designation the property being forfeited by herbert harry's following his kinsman the earl of derwentwater to the preston affair in seventeen fifteen but they keep up the designation thinking doubtless that their claims may be revived in more favourable times for jacobites and for popery and folks who in no way partake of their fantastic capricios do yet allow it to pass unchallenged ex comitate if not ex misericordia but were he the pope and the pretender both we must get some dinner ready for him since he has thought fit to offer himself so hasten home my lad and tell hannah cook apps and james wilkinson to do their best and do thou look out a pint or two of maxwell's best it is in the fifth bin there are the keys of the wine-cellar do not leave them in the lock 
you know poor james's failing though he is an honest creature under all other temptations and i have but two bottles of the old brandy left we must keep it for medicine ellen away went i made my preparations the hour of dinner came and so did mr harry's of burns work if i had thy power of imagination and description darcy i could make out a fine dark mysterious rembrandt-looking portrait of this same stranger which should be as far superior to thy fisherman as a shirt of chain mail is to a herring-net i can assure you there is some matter for description about him but knowing my own imperfections i can only say i thought him eminently disagreeable and ill-bred no ill-bred is not the proper word on the contrary he appeared to know the rules of good breeding perfectly and only to think that the rank of the company did not require that he should attend to them a view of the matter infinitely more offensive than if his behaviour had been that of uneducated and proper rudeness while my father said grace the laird did all but whistle aloud and when i at my father's desire returned thanks he used his toothpick as if he had waited that moment for its exercise so much for kirk with king matters went even worse my father thou knowest is particularly full of deference to his guests and in the present care he seemed more than usually desirous to escape every cause of dispute he so far compromised his loyalty as to announce merely the king as his first toast after dinner instead of the emphatic king george which is his usual formula our guest made a motion with his glass so as to pass it over the water decanter which stood beside him and added over the water my father coloured but would not seem to hear this much more there was of careless and disrespectful in the stranger's manner and tone of conversation so that though i know my father's prejudices in favour of rank and birth and though i am aware his otherwise masculine understanding has never entirely shaken off the slavish awe of the great which in his earlier days they had so many modes of commanding still i could hardly excuse him for enduring so much insolence such it seemed to be as this self-invited guest was disposed to offer to him at his own table one can endure a traveller in the same carriage if he treads upon your toes by accident or even through negligence but it is very different when knowing that they are rather of a tender description he continues to pound away at them with his hoofs in my poor opinion and i am a man of peace you can in that case hardly avoid a declaration of war i believe my father read my thoughts in my eye for pulling out his watch he said half-past four ellen you should be in your own room by this time berenswerk will excuse you 
our visitor nodded carelessly and i had no longer any pretence to remain but as i left the room i heard this magnate of nithsdale distinctly mention the name of latimer i lingered but at length a direct hint from my father obliged me to withdraw and when an hour afterwards i was summoned to partake of a cup of tea our guest had departed he had business that evening in the high street and could not spare time even to drink tea i could not help saying i considered his departure as a relief from incivility what business has he to upbraid us i said with the change of our dwelling from a more inconvenient to a better quarter of the town what was it to him if we chose to imitate some of the conveniences or luxuries of an english dwelling-house instead of living piled up above each other in flats have his patrician birth and aristocratic fortunes given him any right to censure those who dispose of the fruits of their own industry according to their own pleasure my father took a long pinch of snuff and replied very well allan very well indeed i wish mr crossbite or councillor pest had heard you they must have acknowledged that you have a talent for forensic elocution and it may not be amiss to try a little declamation at home now and then to gather audacity and to keep yourself in breath but touching the subject of this paraphil of words it is not worth a pinch of tobacco do ye think that i care for mr harry's of burns work more than any other gentleman who comes here about business although i do not care to go tilting at his throat because he speaks like a grey goose as he is but to say no more about him i want to have darcy latimer's present direction for it is possible i may have to write the lad a line with my own hand and yet i do not well know but give me the direction at all events i did so and if you have heard from my father accordingly you know more probably about the subject of this letter than i who write it but if you have not then shall i have discharged a friend's duty in letting you know that there certainly is something afloat between this disagreeable laird and my father in which you are considerably interested adieu and although i have given thee a subject for waking dreams beware of building a castle too heavy for the foundation which in the present instance is barely the word latimer occurring in a conversation betwixt a gentleman of dumfrieshire and a w s of edinburgh catara prorsus ignoro End of letter five